Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Well, hello, everyone. This is Allison Kay. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation podcast. I am sitting in what is still a very chilly Chicago, but hopefully when you listen to this, it is spring. My guest is in the UK, and we are going to talk about a topic I love, which is the circular economy and how we can be more conscientious and sustainable in the way we live our lives. So he is a wonderful company founder of an app called Young Planet. And so with that, Jason Ash, welcome to the program. Hey, Alison, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. So in a nutshell, give everybody the quick high level of what Young Planet aims to do. So, I mean, Young Planet, in its, in, like in its really simplest form, is using technology to accelerate and scale the kind of age-old practice of hand-me-downs. So we'll all have family stories and family things that have been passed down from generations. Very linear, it's very specific, it's very narrow. Young Planet is an app, a free-to-use marketplace where people list things that are no longer used, request things that they want, and it just keeps things flowing. So rather than you know making something, using it and throwing it away, it still gets made, it still gets used. We have things on Young Planet that have gone through six, seven, eight uh, different households of usage. And, you know, we started with children and parenting things because we think, you know, the, the waste, the obsolescence, the cost is a really apposite place to do that. But actually, once you're in households with these, these kinds of behaviors, you can just keep things out of landfill and help people with family budgets. It's, but it's a want-based thing. It's an environmental uh, goal. And our goal is to be the most loved and free-to-use marketplace for families in the world. And Jason, here's Here's what fascinates me about you is you have this background that is very money oriented and very much in terms of driving the economy and driving people getting money in their pockets. And and yet you have paused to do this, um, you know, planet conscious application. So give us a little bit about your background and, and then why? Why the change to caring so much about the circular economy? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, it's, uh, it's more than a pause. I think it's a kind of, it's a, it's a directional change. And I think, uh, and I'm not alone in doing this. I think, you know, the, the fact that you found us, uh, the fact that other people overseas have found us, you know, the circular economy and making things last longer is something that is, even people have, you know, I'm an adult, but my kids talk about it. It's something that is coming and it's something that we're all going to be part of. So it's definitely not a pause. It's a, it's a change of direction based on the information, but, but you're right. I started my career in FMCG, uh, lived and worked in like five, six different countries with the likes of Unilever and Cadbury and, uh, and I've run my own business and started my own businesses before, but all in food and drink. And I'm, you know, personally very committed to food and drink. I enjoy eating, I enjoy, <laughs> enjoy drinking. It's a lot of fun. But you kind of, you you know, through by a bit of luck and circumstances, we've had some very successful brands that have been sold and businesses have been exited. And you kind of get to the point where you go, well, I have this set of experiences and skills and I'm really good at getting people to eat and drink more. 
And I'm not sure that's the best place to kind of put my hat down and, and actually spend the next 20 years of my life delivering it. So we kind of, we looked at our own world and our own experiences and lived in the US for six years, you know, Paris, Russia, um, Turkey, all over the place. And we, we, I've got three boys, my oldest, you know, we we're very, very fortunate with friends and family that the vast majority of things he has were hand-me-downs from other people, perfectly usable. He doesn't care. Uh, the middle guy gets, you know, even less bought from and our youngest doesn't really know what packaging is. And they're none the wiser and it doesn't make any difference to them. And it's just like, if you have kids, it's in, our, it's in their nature to want things. It's in our nature to provide for them. But 90% of the things they have, they don't use. And there's built-in obsolescence. They grow, they develop, they move on. But if 90% of the stuff they have isn't isn't being used, most of the stuff they want is probably being sat unused somewhere else as well. So we know this happens in family cells and, and with friendship groups. The internet, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but the internet is a wonderful thing for connectivity. So our goal is to basically digitize and scale hand-me-downs and make that inter-community, inter-family, inter-country. You're, you're absolutely correct. And I'm also a parent of, of three. And it's... If you're fortunate to have somebody in your hand-me-down network, so to speak, you know, you yeah. can really benefit. And then sometimes you have these things that are really, really great. And you're like, where do I, I go with them? And for me, it isn't just about the app that you have, Jason, because um, I, I over the years, I've been doing this for over three years, I've started to um, be hesitant and you know, featuring just apps on, on my podcast. But I think it's just this one, as, as you've described and our listeners can hear, you know, you have this global international experience, you know how to manage brands. And I, I truly believe when you say, you know, that you are going to accelerate and, and scale this, that it is going to happen, that this is Young Planet is something that a couple of years down the road, um, we're all going to hear about in some way or another. I'm, and so let's go back because one of the things that in one of the articles I read um, about you, Jason, you had said this quote, new products create an enormous environmental impact and plastics itself have a half-life of something like 300 years. There's a lot of life left in something they have. So 90% of what our third child has from his brothers, and we just don't see the need to buy things these days. There's a huge moment, movement to eliminate single-use plastic from our lives. So are you attacking this? I mean, I, I understand we we led with kind of the hand-me-down, but it's more than just that for you, correct? Yeah, totally. I mean, it I mean it, it is it's about the linear or the shift from the linear economy to the circular economy. And if you there are lots of different ways to cut this. And I think actually the pressure that communities have felt economically and so, socially over the last two years through the pandemic has actually kind of almost emboldened community behavior. And so the families can be a bit wider than they were before. And that there is an understanding that there isn't kind of one fix-all solution. But as it relates to plastic, you know, if you landed from the planet Mars and looked at, the, at what plastic is, you know, it sounds controversial, but in some ways, in many ways, it's a wonderful material. The issue with it is when it's thrown away. And, you know, we have, we're in this really interesting microcosm, not least because of world events, but, you know, it, after the Second World War, when, uh, you know, rationing was the case in Europe and the UK, and, uh, 
and everybody made things last longer because you couldn't get it. You know, it wasn't available. The supply chains weren't there. Industry wasn't there. So what you had, you had to make last longer and you had to mend it, fix it and use it again or adapt its usage to what it could do. Uh, and that was economic pressure, you know, pure and simple. You know, there is no bigger problem in the world, despite what goes on day to day, than the overconsumption of the world's resources to the point where it's destroyed. Right. And that, that is it sounds very histrionic, but, you know, in the sort of journalistic um, hierarchies of, you know, make it about good versus evil. That is the good versus evil. We are we are the, the sort of fight we're in, if you like. Mm-hmm. And and so instead of the economic pressure, it's environmental pressure to make things last longer. And it's interesting because it's tied up into nostalgia and into the way things used to be, which was simpler, back into communities, all of those things. So it's not, it's not just about kids' stuff, and it's not just about plastic. It's, it's a mindset around – it's not anti-commerce because we're a business, and I genuinely believe that, you know, we, we have to be quite fierce about doing good. Uh, so we're not a charity. You know, the nobility of the cause is wonderful, but this has got to work, right? And it's a lockstep proposition in the sense that – the more impact we have, the more things we keep out of landfill. And we're already at, you know, we had 20, I think it was 28,000 things listed last year. And at any one point there's, you know, 4,000 plus items on the app, which is phenomenal. So there's a lot of liquidity in there. And the people listing it, the things go quickly because it's for free. And the people getting stuff get it for free. So it's great. And it's under this guise of I want to do better environmentally as opposed to I need it, I can't afford it, whatever it might be. And, and not only, you know, it, it it makes connections across communities that is just from a here and now is really important. But it's not just about the single element of a crib or a cot or a toy or whatever it might be being passed on. It's if you could do it with that, you can do it with anything. And actually things can last longer. And we, you know, let's face it, we need to do it. Um, yeah, it, and it, Jason, I think what's interesting to me that might be lost on people is I'm a big people person. That's why I love to talk to people and, and do this podcast. And I've always had careers where I interact with a lot of people. And I love the circular economy. And I love the fact that it's, it is a human to human contact. And when people ship things or share things, um, you know, they can do personal notes and it's, it's, I hope you love this as much as, you know, you know, my child loved this, or I hope, you know, this, this brings you happiness and joy. And it's, you know, a pair of jeans and somebody's like, I hope this brings you happiness and joy. And I think there's just a nice human spirit in it as well that people would miss on the surface. hundred percent. And we are quote unquote, a tech business, but I'm not, I'm a history graduate and a, and a social science master's graduate. I'm not a tech guy at all, but I see it as a tool to make connections. And as it relates to parents, what's really, again, I think pandemic has influenced this from a community perspective, but from a life stage perspective, you know, we all go down our tunnels of school and, you know, uh, university, whatever my work and our network becomes narrower. And we kind of, in, in one way, we become more confident of who we are and what we do and the world we operate in. And I, you know, I, I say this as a, I adore my children and I, and I, the top of my, my kind of pyramid is being a father but you throw kids into that and the whole world changes again. And we all need, we need support. Like your network changes. It almost inverts at the school gates because the shared experience of parenting is, is about as traumatic, as stressful, as joyful as it can be every second of every day. And it's a complete contradiction. So it's where people are looking for support. And I, and I say, you see this in very tight familial cells 
but it's the shared experience of parenting across communities is a very human thing. And, and, and we're a very simple app, actually. Um, but it, it is there to connect people with purpose. Uh, and we are just adding technology to a behavior that exists. And that technology is there not for the sake of it. It is there to make it go faster, to make the boat of circularity go faster, if you like. Well, and as you said, you're a tech company. So let's now go into the nuts and bolts a little bit more of the behind the scenes of your of your company. Um, how did you first go about uh, assembling your technology team? Where did you turn to um, to build this app? Well, as, like a his, as a history graduate, it wasn't myself, right? So we... Uh, <laughs> We went through like we've been through a number of different partners on this, and we're a mix of what they call offshore and onshore at the minute. So my COO um, is obviously very technically competent, and we have uh, um, competent rather, and we have uh, a couple of individuals in Zagreb and Croatia. Actually, Edwin, my COO, is based in Singapore, so we're very international in terms of our you know our team. Most of us are in London or the southeast, but it's it's a it's it's a tender process actually. You just be very clear about what you want and where it's going. Uh, and you don't always make, you know, good decisions can have bad outcomes. We're, we're at a point now where we have both internal staff and external partners that we're very happy with that understand what we're doing. Um, and actually, it's interesting, less on the tech, but more on the sort of commercial side. It, it, I think we sort of, we don't bridge charity and commerce. We're very much, we're very commercial, very for profit, if you like. We don't see that as a bad thing. I don't because either. Because actually, we, yeah. the incentives are aligned. Like that can be a good thing as well. I mean, it, I um, it was uh, at a, a business school in London. It was part of a seminar where I kind of, you know, there's there's a mix of public and private uh, students there in a, in a grad class, and you know there there is this common or all too common perception I think in public and service roles that the private sector is full of these kind of you know Monty Burns from the Simpsons type people trying to just exploit exploit exploit, and there's no doubt exploitation has happened. But business can be a really, if you align incentives and you're very specific about what you're trying to do and what the impact is, you can actually make it go faster by make, the more commercial it is. So we are, you know, the, the more impact we have, the more successful we will be as a business. The more successful we are as a business, the more impact we will have. And I, so I don't see them in conflict at all. But the, the tech team specifically is kind of trial and error. And uh, we've not made all the right decisions along the way, but we're very comfortable with where we are now. Well, and, and Jason, I, I couldn't agree with you more because... I have this this long years of corporate background, and then I hit a point in my life where I switched and took my like CEO skills to the nonprofit world. So I currently, um, in my professional life, uh, am in the nonprofit world. And and you're you're right. There is a you can keep a little bit more of a straight line in clarity when it's not all nonprofit, like all of these volunteers and all of the boards you know, thinking things should go in their own direction. And, and so there is something certainly to that. Well, let's talk about, you know, you say commercial for, for profit. Um, what is, what is the the business model for, for keeping it, uh, you know, stable and growing? How are you, you making money or what's the intention for making more money in the future? So, I mean, platforms like ours typically, and we're not going to do this, but they would typically, it's some combination of advertising or consumer subscription, mm-hmm. where we're finding the most traction at the minute. There are certain added value things, like we'll never, it'll always be free to use, right? This is a really important thing for us. And I should actually say, it's really, it's really um, cool being on your podcast, because 
Uh, when we first launched properly in 2019, we were interviewed by the Evening Standard in London, and we were kind of ill-prepared for it. But it, it was like, where did the idea first come from? And it came from, we were living in New York, and uh, we went for lunch at a friend's house in, in Claremont Montclair over the other side of New Jersey. We had a couple of glasses of wine and went for a walk. And we went past uh, a yard sale. And I still have the, the thing here, and all my boys have been through it. My oldest was like three at the time. And there was a red fire truck, like a radio flyer, classic Americana, uh, red radio flyer truck that his eyes are out and stalks off. And he went straight up the driveway and was hooting around on it. And I thought, oh, you know, we're going to have to buy this now. And we, I don't know if we need this <laughs> in an apartment type thing. But anyway, I got chatting with the guy and he just said, Look, it's so cool to see someone, you know, enjoy that. And he was happened to be an empty nester. And that truck has been, in, you've probably seen it in some of our collateral, that truck is front and center uh, of so many of the things that we do um, that uh, I thought I'd share that anyway. I thought it'd be interesting. But uh, sorry, remind me what the question was. <laughs> I drifted there. <laughs> We're not, you said, you know, models, apps, the app business model yes. is often right. run either by ads or it's run by consumer subscriptions or yep. it's run by, if you pay me money, you don't have to see the ads. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, 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 exactly. So what's the vision? So we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So we have, um, there are certain things around availability that we may entertain on the consumer front, but we're going to push that as far away as we can. And there are certain brand partnerships that we've entertained and have executed that I think are different to advertising, but you could argue they're advertising derived. So for example, um, 18% of the items on the app last year were clothing. And so me it's okay for a very green uh clothing uh detergent brand uh you know uh, one that is sets itself out in a excuse me a very specific way to lengthen the life of clothes and be particularly and relatively exceptional as it relates to its credentials it's okay for them to associate a message with that so you as you list an item of clothing this particular brand gives you a message uh, that did you know if you it, it, you know the, the the clothing will last longer if you request this brand there's a pop up message as well so that is kind of advertising but not much uh, and it's very specific and curated and with you know organisations and structures like Adnet Zero you know there are a lot of people doing a lot of work on pre qualifying people that that were as long as they add value to our user base we will accept them in our space uh, far more interesting is uh, two what I would call B2B elements of it. So one is um, where a co- corporations uh, from an employee benefit perspective uh, subscribe and create a space, if you like, for employees to act purposefully and collegiately, particularly we're all doing this kind of thing these days. You know, that dreadful phrase, the kind of water cooler conversation that just doesn't happen if you're not in an office every day and, I don't think anyone's going back, or very few people go back to being in an office every day. Mm-hmm. So it, it helps people in the shared experience of being employed by a company act purposely in line with the CSR goals of the company, and they're encouraging them to do that. But it also encourages them to act within their community. So it's semi-closed in the, you know, in you know, company A would have a zone where you can list something only for company A employees, 
or you can list it for company A employees within within the community. And then company A benefits as an employer brand from that association, but also from that impact generation. And then you get into gamification and offices compete against each other about how much they can keep out of landfill and all that sort of stuff. So we're finding that's a really interesting path with the right partners. And clear, we said no to some businesses because it's clearly, you know, if you get a yes very quickly, it's usually a kind of, we're not sure they get what we're doing here. And it, you know, it's, you know, we, we've got, we're very lucky in that we've got um, a handful of very strong, sust- you know, very committed partners in the sustainability space. And we'll be launching those offers later on this year. Um, the other space that's quite interesting and back to kind of my old world, if you like, is, you know, there, there's a lot of waste involved in manufacturing things. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things that are returned that, you know, if they're not resaleable, what happens to them? So, and a lot of them get destroyed ultimately at the end of the day. And, you know, so it's the same in the business case. So there's a, uh, like a, a Bismarck quote around, um, you should never, you should never know what goes into the making of sausages and laws because you'll never believe in either again. And like the recycling bin is the same. Like we're all very diligent about how we recycle and put things in bins and bags the right way. But actually, if you start digging around and working out what happens to it after that, it's horrific, right? It's it's slightly better than, you know, being as horrific domestically, but it's still the same problem, right? And it's the same in industrial manufacturing. Like things, if you can't resell it, what do you do with it? Um, so if you, you can imagine a, a retailer or a manufacturer or a wholesaler or whatever it might be with these this returns problem where things can't be resold and they've got to waste them. And this is exactly what the circular economy is about, right? So whether right. it's, you know, Marmite, you know, I was talking to someone just before this call actually about like there's a paste called Marmite over here. You may have heard of it in the States. It's perhaps small ahead, but Brits are pretty obsessed with it. You either love it or hate it, but it's it's a waste product from the brewing industry. Uh, or even like a Cadbury flake bar is the shavings off of Cadbury dairy milk that were wasted and then repackaged it. Like keeping things going, not throwing things away is really, really important. So if you have employees that are engaged on the subscription model as a community and you have stuff that would be incinerated or going to waste, they can then distribute those products that are perfectly usable but aren't saleable because of you know whatever reason, but it will be minor. They're safe, obviously, but they can be distributed within the community. And that not only does that energize the supply side of the platform, which encourages more demand, et cetera, and so forth, but it enables employees that are underneath this banner of Company A facilitated by Young Planet to contribute to their local communities. And so, you know, there may be a time when we do a bit more advertising derived stuff, or there may be a time when they're are some added value things. They have to be added value things that consumers might pay a couple of bucks for a month. Um, in the first instance, we're all about growth. You know, we're, you know, we're kind of VC financed and, um, and it's about sustaining uh, or offsetting our cost base. And we're finding the B2B corporates, particularly in the UK where we've got the Environment, Environment Act that's coming in, uh, was in legislation now, and there's things like right to repair and stuff within that. It's really front and center on a lot of businesses that have a problem not only financially, but they have a problem that they're conscious of environmentally with waste. And if you can use it, but you can't sell it, um, you can put it on your own planet if it's to do with parents and kids. Yeah. So I want to just ask you this, Jason, because our time goes very fast on these interviews. Um, yeah. What was what was the financial model to for your startup costs? Did you bootstrap a bit of this? Did you bring in um, outside money? 
Yeah, with uh, both. So I uh, bootstrapped for a time. We got a, like a, a couple of beta tests done through uh, personal financing mm-hmm. uh, myself. We then, um, uh, for, I look back on this actually with a little bit of kind of uh, nervousness, but we we formed an advisory board of, you know, we sort of handpicked people that we we went after and thought, you know, particular chairman of a VC or a digital specialist or an environmental specialist a green tech specialist and basically invited them to invest. <laughs> we didn't, they weren't, we weren't offering anything other than you can get in at this level. And, um, you know, we, we raised money that way. And then subsequent to that, you know, we were building our first range MVP at that point. We've done two crowdfunding uh, rounds in the UK here. So it's still bootstrapped. Um, you know, we are still skeleton. Uh, everything we have goes into, into either the offer or the UX, um, and we've you know we've got a fairly chunky round of financing coming up through institutions this year. But it's it's been a path. But it was private finance and then crowdsourced. But there was some tactical nuances in there that really kind of served the business well. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that we have um, talked about you know where you're currently based. So you started in London in the UK. Um, expansion. Uh, what do you see if we came back and talked to you in two or three years? What's the story that we're going to hear for Young Planet? Well, we we genuinely don't see any limits uh, from a territory and culture and language perspective. Like the the shared experience of parenting, in particular, the waste involved, the cost involved. I, it just it doesn't have a limit. So where you go next? I mean, the US is a target for us. Scandinavia is a target for us. The Far East is a target for us. We've got our first international launches later this year, but we just we don't see any limits to the offer. We think the problems of waste and cost in raising children and the guilt associated that with that, but the joy of the community and the shared experience as well is quite universal. And um, you know, there's no reason why we can't have the breadth and depth of eBay in a very short space of time, in our and, view. And I believe it. After speaking with you today, Jason, I absolutely believe it. If people want to know more, how do they connect to you and how do they connect to Young Planet? So youngplanet.com, the app is available there. Uh, It's not available in every country yet, but send us a note and we're we're always open to, you know, starting things. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Jason Ash. I'm I'm friends with everybody that uh, gets to reach out and we'd love to hear from anybody that's listening to the podcast. So, and um and uh, we look forward to either hearing from them or being in front of them, giving them the opportunity to, to participate in the app in the near future. Well, Jason, thank you so much for you, what you and your team are doing for sustainability and, and to make this a little happier and better planet. Uh, for our listeners, if Jason told a story or something that you think somebody else needs to hear, please pass along a copy of this episode and reach out to Jason and tell him thank you for doing such a great job. As always, we love reviews. So head over to Podchaser or your favorite podcast channel and, and give us a review. And if there's a disruptive CEO that you think I need to speak with, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Jason, thank you again. Thank you. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.